The world is constantly changing. We change styles, we change friends, we change loyalties, but the God of the universe doesn't change. He isn't diluted by our sin or our opinions. Darkness can't overtake him. So when we come in contact with him, our selfishness and pride melt like ice to water. God's light shines into the darkest crevices of our heart and we are transformed. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are transformed by his mercy. We change in the way we treat the poor and the rich, where we would normally mouth off and speak out of turn, we bite our tongue. Where we would normally flex our greatness, we hold off in humility. Ultimately, we don't do good things to earn Jesus' love. We show mercy because a greater grace was shown to us. As we move through our series in the book of James, we can find confidence in the love of God and we can live it out because ultimately, faith works. James Wisdom for Real Life. All right. Uh, today we've got a special treat. Um, today we have Coral, uh, who is the, the lead pastor of Coastlands Church, preaching for us today. Uh, he was very kind to prepare uh, our sermon in James this week. Um, some of you have met Coastlands before, or met the church and met Co- Coral before. Uh, we've done Good Friday together as a church, um, and uh, we've had them come visit us on opportunities where they didn't have access to their normal location. Um, they're a, a wonderful church. Uh, we, we love getting together with them, and Coral is just a solid dude. I, I mean, I can't really state that any more firmly than I, I can. Um, he is a biblical, godly man, and we are really blessed to have him uh, preach for us today. So, Coral, if you would uh, lead us in the word. Honor to be, it's an honor to be here. Um, this morning, so I'm really excited. Um, James is an awesome book, one of my, you know, favorite books whenever I need a little bit of just, you know, just straight up, just practical, living out Christianity, you go to James and it just hits you a couple of punches in the stomach and you're like, man, I, um, God, I'm so glad I'm saved by grace and yes, God, let me use that grace to actually live a life that's um, more honoring towards you. So I was tasked today with um, preaching out of James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. So you can um, go ahead and turn your Bibles to there. I don't know if they stick it on the screen here, but you can have your Bibles there. But before I start, let me kind of tell you a a quick story. How many of you, um, like, grew up in the California school systems here? Got some? All right, cool, cool. We got some Californianites here. So one of the, the interesting things, I remember growing up and we had to read this book um, about Tom Sawyer. Anybody? Yeah. yeah, everybody remember that book? It was the most interesting book when you're a kid, right? Because you're reading this life and this kid's getting in all kind of trouble. He's, he's like doing all kind of things. And you're like, man, that kid is, man, that kid's like, that kid's bad. And um, one of the stories, one of my favorite stories that I remember from that, and maybe you watched the movie or saw the, you know, saw the movie, is when Tom Sawyer gets in trouble and his aunt makes him go to paint this fence. Anybody remember that story here? Yeah. All right, we got some people. So one of the most interesting stories about this story is that he is in trouble and he has to paint a fence. And it's kind of like what I do at my house. My kids get in trouble and, you know, let me go find some chores for you to do. Let me go find something in the backyard, some grass for you to cut. And so Tom Sawyer begins to paint this fence. And as he's painting this fence, 
One of his friends walks by and he starts making fun of him. And Tom's like, why are you making fun of me? You know, how, you know, how, when's the last time you ever painted a fence? When's the last time you got to do this? And then his friend's like, really? And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I'm so special that I get to paint this fence. And then his friend's like, well, let me try. Let me try painting this fence. And Tom's like, nah, nah, nah. You couldn't do it. You're not, you're not smart enough. You're not good enough to do this. And his friend says, well, if I give you my apple, will you let me paint the fence? And Tom's like, all right, all right. For an apple, you have bought the opportunity to paint this fence. And um, kind of the story goes that he convinces like 12 other kids to go and help paint this fence while he goes and he plays. And um, it's a really interesting story. And it's kind of funny. It's a little deceptive. But one of the things you kind of get from Tom Sawyer is that he is very clever. And when it comes to getting his ways, actually pretty wise. Right there, he demonstrated like how he could take work and he could get money out of it. He kind of understood like the psychology of his friends and how he could get them to do what he wants and manipulate them. He understood how to get the task done so that his aunt wouldn't be upset at him. He understood a lot of different things there. And so when we kind of look at a story like that, we see this, this young kid who's demonstrating a level of, of wisdom, but maybe it's not geared in the right direction, right? He has a lot of wisdom, but the point of him doing the task was so that he could obey his aunt and learn a life lesson from that. And instead, he uses the wisdom that he has to manipulate a group of other people, get the task done, but not the right way. So if you have your Bibles, let me go ahead and read this verse. And we're going to kind of be dealing with this topic. It says this, out of James 3.13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So let's go ahead and pray one more time, and um, um, we'll get right into the middle of the sermon. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity to stand before the city life. I just thank you, Lord God, for the blessing. I pray that you would, um, that you would speak, Lord God, to all of us today, Lord God, through your word. <coughs> God, I thank you that we go to your word to find truth, and that, um, that you are the embodiment of truth. God, I pray, Lord God, that you hit our hearts, Lord God, this morning, Lord God, just not our minds, but our hearts, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that if there's in any way that I'm in the way, take me out of the way, Lord God, so that you can speak, Lord God. Let not the enemy, God, steal the word from anyone's heart, and I pray that everyone would receive something from today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we begin to look at this verse in James, we kind of start off in verse 13, and I'm going to kind of explain the verse. It's going to be a little bit of teaching at first, and then we'll kind of move in faster into the verse. But what's really interesting as we take a look at this is James begins to ask a question, and he says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? And so when you begin to take a look at that question, it, it kind of calls for this response. He's asking amongst the church, 
And he's asking people who are reading the letter, is there someone among you who you would say is wise and understanding? And it's really important because he's going to begin to dissect this idea throughout the text of wisdom that comes above and that's from God. And so when you look at that, you might, you might think, well, you know, do I qualify to fit in that group of wise and understanding? Or what, what does that mean to be wise and understanding? And that word wise comes from the Greek word sophos, and it means basically pertaining to specialized knowledge resulting in the skill for accomplishing some purpose. In other words, it's just not good enough to have knowledge, but you need to have wisdom, right? Knowledge is what you know, but wisdom is, tells you to take what you know and what to do with it. So you could like know that a house is built out of wood, and you can know that there's windows, and windows should go at this location of a house. And you might know these things, but wisdom will give you the skill set and the understanding of how to put those things in place and how to put the beams in place and how to space them at the right dimensions and how to go in the right order to build the house. Like you would start with your foundation first, you wouldn't start with the roof first. And so wisdom is going to instruct how to do things. And he's also looking for someone who is not just full of wisdom, but also full of understanding. And so while wisdom tells you how to take what you have and do something with it, understanding means you can take a look at life and you understand and you have insight into the way that things work. So wisdom is you could take tools and build something. Insight lets you take a look into what exists and understand its workings. Maybe some of you grew up, um, I grew up like this. Have you ever heard this? You had somebody in your family member that was like really smart, but everybody said they don't have any common sense. All right. You, somebody, some of you know some people like that. I unfortunately was that kid growing up. I was like, he doesn't have any common sense. And what that meant was like they know a lot of things, but when you put them out there in the real world, they make a lot of mistakes because they just don't understand how things work. They don't understand how to interact with people or interact with situations. Or sometimes, you know, if you grew up kind of like um, on the, the, the batter side of the neighborhood, people would say he has no street smarts. It means he's naive. He thinks everybody is out for his good and he's going to get hurt. Maybe you know some people like that. My kids are kind of like that right now. We were out somewhere. Um, someone came and asked us for something to eat. I said, yeah, we have some hamburgers. I'll give you some. And they said, I don't eat just hamburgers. It has to be a Whopper. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. I can just give you a cheeseburger that we have. And then my son's like, I've got some money to give. I'm like, no, no, son. Don't be naive right here in this situation. So James is looking for someone who understands and who's wise. And so wisdom is really important to the Christian life and to the Christian faith. In fact, if you didn't know this, in the Bible, there's a whole book dedicated to wisdom called Proverbs. And there's a whole section of books that are called the, the wisdom literature of the Bible that have to deal with five different books in the Old Testament. And James would be considered wisdom literature by some also in the New Testament. So as we begin to take a look at this, I've got three points that I want to talk to you from in this text. And these three points have to deal with pure wisdom, pure wisdom, poison wisdom, or poisoned wisdom, and the third one is productive wisdom. So let's get into pure wisdom really quick. And pure wisdom is probably what you think it is. It's the kind of wisdom that we should 
have as believers. So James is um, great enough to kind of give us a list of what pure wisdom looks like. And if you jump down to verse, um, verse 17, it says this. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So first and foremost, the wisdom that we're seeking after as believers is wisdom from where? All right, that's cool. You can speak. Wisdom from above. It's wisdom from God. The source is God. In other words, there's other sources of wisdom that is not of, of God, but the wisdom that we as believers are searching for is wisdom that comes from God. In fact, not only is that, it says that the wisdom that comes from God is the second thing, is that it's pure. In other words, when God brings wisdom... That it's without blemish. It is free of error. And this really relates to the goodness of God. So James is establishing that what God has to give us and the wisdom that we need comes from God and that God is good because God only gives good wisdom. He doesn't give bad wisdom. Amen. And so if you have bad wisdom working in your life, guess who it didn't come from? You can't blame God for it. You know, people blame God for all kinds of stuff. Didn't come from God if you have bad wisdom at work in your life. But secondly, he begins to, he says in this list, is that this wisdom brings, this wisdom is peaceable. Everyone say peaceable. peaceable. And I love this because the wisdom that God gives to us, in effect, brings peace where it's at. And now you may be in this room and you're like, all right, so we need, we need peace. Peace is good. Wisdom brings peace. How does that, how does that work? Well, Proverbs 9.10 says this. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is right. When you begin to think of wisdom bringing peace, what's most important is for you and I to be at peace with who first? With God. So often, we live our lives in fear and anxiety. We have problems and issues with people. We're trying to be at peace with man first. But the first and foremost person that we need to be at peace with is God. And so the wisdom that comes from above brings peace first because the wisdom from God is always concerned with you being right and in line with God's will. That's why it says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord because wisdom begins with understanding that all of my actions and who I am is connected to God first. That wisdom outside of acknowledging God is not the kind of wisdom we're searching for. But wisdom that puts God first is the type of wisdom that is of Him. Not only that, what's so beautiful about this is that the Bible says that, that this wisdom brings peace and that we also get peace through the good news of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 19-20 says, For in Him... All the fullness of God, the God of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So if you're here, the way that you and I get peace with God is not by doing a lot of great works, but it's through Jesus. Your peace 
with God and being made right with God and having a relationship with God comes through the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so that peace begins with God. And so the wisdom that God is going to give you is going to be the wisdom that brings peace in your relationship with God and your understanding of how God sees you in the cross of Jesus Christ as beloved, as a child, as a son, as a daughter, as forgiven, as righteous based on the merits and the works of Christ and Christ alone. But also, since we're at peace with God, this wisdom also will call us to be at peace with others. And that peace that we get with being at with others is also, too, sharing with them what Jesus has done and reconciling and forgiving and grace and connecting our life and our actions to what Christ has done. So this is, this is important because the wisdom and the foundation of wisdom that we need to understand is that, that it takes into account who God is, the very fact that God is good, and that what God has done through Jesus in the life of the believer. And so all of our life then being centered on those things, when we keep that at the center, then all of a sudden the other actions that we do and the other questions that we have and the other nuances of life that we deal with should remember some of these absolutes about who God is first and what God has done through Christ. He gives some other qualities, and I'm going to kind of run through really quick. He says that this wisdom should be gentle. Um, gentle, my idea of kind of, of gentle is it should be more interested in the person understanding than just sharing. In other words, that God is concerned about your neighbor and you being at peace with them. And some of you are like, all right, let me just go knock on their door and say, you've got to believe in Jesus. And they didn't believe, so I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to walk away. But being gentle with somebody is realizing that there's a process of time that people may have to go through in coming to the truth and understanding what God's will is for their life. And being gentle means that I'm more concerned with the person knowing and understanding this truth, even if it takes a year, rather than me just getting it off my chest because it makes me feel better. This wisdom is going to be open to reason. In other words, that the wisdom that comes from God makes you a great listener. That you can take a moment, take a stop, and you can say, wait a minute, let me listen to what this person has to say. Let me get some feedback. Maybe I'm not sharing, or maybe I'm not giving these truths in the right way, and if I listen, I could, it could help me better get my point across. It listens, it considers, it interacts, it improves, because we're always growing in wisdom. This wisdom is full of mercy. In other words, the wisdom that God is going to give always thinks about what's God's heart towards people, towards a city. It's not like the people that go and like march around and like, you know, there's this church that marches around and says, God hates you. Like that's not God's heart for the city. God's heart for the city and for people is that they would repent and come to know him. God's heart for the city is that he would come down and he would die for the sins of mankind. God's heart for the city is one of mercy. And so the wisdom that God gives us should be full of mercy. There's good fruits involved. In other words, that, that the evidence of having a wisdom that comes from God is that it's going to produce fruit in the lives of others. It's impartial. It doesn't change just based on the race or the socioeconomic status of somebody. That the wisdom that God would give you will be the same wisdom that God would give me as far as, um, as, far as what he requires of us. 
or what is right and what is wrong, that it's not going to change just based on the richness of someone. And it's sincere. It doesn't have any interior motive. That God's wisdom doesn't mean like, you know, I just want to get that person right with Jesus because I'm tired of them not cutting their grass next door. If they would just get right with God, then maybe they would cut their grass and we'd have a better relationship as neighbors. No, there's no ulterior motive to it. It's having God's heart and God's vision and God's view for people. Amen? So the second point, the second thing is this, is that we kind of get an understanding of what pure wisdom looks like from the scripture, but we also begin to get this, this kind of thing of poisoned wisdom. And I really think this is kind of where James is going at because he wants to share some things with believers. He's not talking to, he's not talking to people who don't believe in Jesus. He's actually talking to the Christians. And look what he says. He says in verse 14, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, do you not know that having issues in your heart can poison the wisdom that God gives you? It can poison the way that you interact with people. It can poison the things that you say. He's talking to believers right here. And it's really important that we get this because maybe there's some of us in here today that are struggling with bitter jealousy or selfish ambition. And I would dare say that that's a struggle for any one of us because the Bible says that our flesh is at war against the Spirit. Our flesh hates the things of God, that there's something in us that wants to oppose God and that wants to lift ourselves up and put ourselves on the throne. But it's really important for us to guard our hearts in these matters and to take inventory of our life and see if there's some bitter jealousy in my heart and if there's some selfish ambition. And these two things are kind of the, the different sides of the same coin. Bitter jealousy means I want what that person has and it makes me upset. And you know what you, you, know what you do when you want what someone has and it makes you upset and you can't get it? You begin to work to tear that person down. Maybe some of you have experienced that. People at your job that will tear you down because they're bitter and they're jealous and they don't want to work for what you may have. They just want to tear you down so that they can put both of you on the same equal level. Or sometimes people like get real nasty with you so you can get nasty back so that they can feel good about themselves. Bitter jealousy looks at somebody else and says they shouldn't have it and I'm going to do something about that and I'm going to talk about them, I'm going to tear them down, I'm going to connive to, to break that down. And if you're a believer and you have bitter jealousy in your heart, you may not even recognize it, but James is saying that it will taint the way you interact with that person and with other people. Because what bitter jealousy does is it takes God as being the first, the, God takes God off the throne of our hearts. Remember the beginning of wisdom of wisdom is the fear of God, of placing God first. And when you're consumed and bitter and jealous with someone else, God's not occupying your heart, but the person that you dislike and who you hate and who you're upset at and who you can't forgive is now occupying your heart. And so because they occupy your heart, guess what? You begin to live a life that avoids them. You begin to live a life that tell other people to not trust them, don't like them. You begin to live a life that... that 
you lose your joy and your happiness when they're around. All of a sudden they show up to church and you're like, I can't go to church anymore because they're there. All of a sudden you see them at the supermarket and your kids will go hungry because you're not going to buy anything just so you don't run into them. Bitter jealousy has a way of consuming us to the point that it takes God off the throne. And all of a sudden we live our lives because we're bitter and jealous at someone else. It could be a family member, it could be friends, it could be an old relationship, it could be any of those things, but it will destroy us and all of a sudden we are not listening to what God says. All of a sudden we are living lives in order to make sure that we exact the justice or the judgment we think we deserve and so we build our lives on that. And some people are really good with it, right? They're they're wise with it, they're really good with it. And James is acknowledging this, uh, this, that sometimes, some people aren't really good with it, but some people really are, and they know how to, to tear people down, and they can do it very good. The other thing is selfish ambition. Selfish ambition puts you on the throne, and you say, it's not all about Jesus, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's about my happiness, about my joy, about my comfort, about if I feel good, about if I feel comfortable or uncomfortable. It's about me. When you have selfish ambition, you will tear other people down in order to rise to the top. You will hurt other people, destroy other people, do whatever it takes just to rise to the top. And the good news is that it's about Jesus and what he's done, but when selfish ambition enters into our heart, that's why you can look on TV and you're like, man, how did that person become a pastor and all of a sudden take advantage of all those people and steal their money? Why? Because they weren't motivated by the love of God. They were motivated by their own selfish ambition, and they will do whatever it takes and hurt whoever they can in order to rise to the top. So church, you must guard these things. What um, James says about these things is if you have these issues at work in your heart, that the wisdom that will come to you will be one that's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Think about that. Earthly, unspiritual, or demonic. Earthly is in all it does is regards this life right now, what I can get out of right now. Or it's unspiritual, it's not from God, or it's in fact demonic. It's actually the same thing that messed Satan up. These things growing in our heart can spoil and ruin what we have to offer to the body of Christ. It becomes poison. It becomes, it becomes um, a tent on what we have to give and what we have to offer. He says that the outcome of all of this is if this continues to work in the life of a believer that what will happen in a church or what will happen with other people is disorder and every vile practice. So everything evil that you could imagine, selfish ambition, will have people do any evil thing in order to keep themselves at the top. And bitter jealousy will have people go to places they never thought they would go or do things that they never thought they would do in order to get back at someone. We read about it in the news all the time. And he says disorder. Why disorder? Because again, wisdom is all about knowing what, you know, it's all about setting things from disorder to order. When you build a house, you start at the foundation, you put all the parts in the right order, and having a lack of wisdom is doing things in the wrong order. 
And so when somebody puts themselves first, all of a sudden they're, at, they're in disorder with the other people that they're around. Because if you're in a house and somebody thinks it's all about them, man, they'll turn their music up as loud as possible and they won't care about what anybody else is doing. They'll, you know, hog the television and they won't share with anybody. You know, they'll, they'll spend all the money in the bank account because they needed to have this thing now, even if other people need to eat. It, it puts all of your priorities and it puts other people on the back burner. And so his advice to those who may be struggling with these heart issues is to not boast and to not be false to the truth. In other words, if you have boasting in your life, he's like, watch out and don't try to say, you know, I'm the best this all the time or whatever and to put yourself forward and to make sure everybody thinks you're the greatest. That's like one of the craziest things about social media today, right? And don't be false to the truth. To don't lie against other people and tear other people down just because it makes you feel better about yourself. So he's warning people right there and he's saying, hey, if these things are at your, in your heart, what it's going to ultimately lead to is either you boasting or it's going to lead to you lying. You're going to boast and make it all about you or you're going to lie against other people. So one of the things that I like about this um, chapter is that I think... Um, the goal of James is for us to have productive wisdom. Everybody say productive wisdom. Productive wisdom. So in verse 13, what's really interesting is, is that he calls people and he says, who's wise and who's understanding among you? And what he ends up doing is he says this. He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, when you have good wisdom at work in your life, He's basically saying, let your good conduct shine. Let it shine. Like Jesus says, you know, let your light so shine that other men may see your works and glorify your Father in heaven. That a life full of wisdom is to let their good conduct and their works shine. If there's someone wise and understanding here, God wants your works to shine brightly before people. And I'm not saying that you're looking for glory or seeking glory, because if you're seeking glory, then you're doing exactly what the Pharisees and Sadducees did. But James says, let it be done in the wisdom of meekness. In other words, let your works shine, but don't be the type of person that's letting it shine so that you can get glory. Be meek with it. In other words, somebody comes and they compliment you, and you're like, man, you're doing a great job. You're able to say, you know what, you can do this too. I'm not nothing special. I can do this because here's what Christ has shown me. Let me teach you. Let me share with you why I'm able to do these things. Amen. God wants to use you in this church and in this place to share the wisdom that he's given you. That he just hasn't given it to you so that you could have your best life right now, so you can keep it to yourself, so you can live a life in order that, you know, everything is great at your home and in your family. But he, the wisdom that he's given to you is just not for you, it's for others. So you can affect the lives of people in this church, so you can affect the lives of your family, so you can affect the lives of your friends. Sometimes we may be so concerned, you know, like if our motives are wrong that we don't let our light shine, but we, God has called you and I to let our light shine. And if your motives are wrong, continue to check your heart at the door. So you go to God in prayer and you say, God, if there is any evil way in me, 
if there's any wicked way in me, if there's any wrong motive in me, purge me, purify me, bring it to my attention. Confess it to the brothers and sisters at the church. Ask them and let them know that you have some things that are going on in your heart and share. But God is concerned with us using what he's given us and letting it shine so that it, one, can benefit others, but two, so that you can teach others to benefit from the wisdom that he's given you. Wisdom that is centered on who God is and what God has done through Jesus Christ. And then to spread out from there and affect other areas of our life, whether it's our finances, whether it's economics, whether it's politics, whether it's any of those other things that may be more nuanced. There's people here who have wisdom and God wants you to share it with other people at the church so that the church can be full of the wisdom of God. And there's nothing wrong with that. Verse 13 calls us to share the wisdom. We also share the, the results of that. Well, love what verse 18 says is this. He says, In the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What he's demonstrating right here is that those who have the wisdom that comes from God and that are using it to bring peace into their world, setting things from disorder into order, putting the things that are first to first. It says when they sow that into the world, they get a harvest of righteousness. And think about it. When all of us get on the page of what God is doing and who God is, when we begin to learn and we gain wisdom through coming to church, through interacting at, you know, a midweek, um, at a midweek small group where we get to ask questions and we learn more things about God or more things about life, and that we find other people who have gifts in certain areas and have talents in certain areas and know things that we don't know, it strengthens the whole body. And everybody, it, it produces a harvest of righteousness when those who have wisdom are sharing it and they're pouring into the lives of other people and they're discipling and they're giving and they're helping and they're blessing the church with what they have. So as we begin to bring the sermon to the close, maybe you're here today and you're like, all right, so I've got some hard issues to work out in my life. Uh, first and foremost, Find a trusted brother or sister here to confess to, right? Maybe not right here this Sunday, but call them up on the phone. Go to small group and share your burden with someone. Be transparent, be open, because the greatest thing that the enemy will use against you is shame and secrecy to keep you going down the same mess and repeating the same bad habits, hurting the same people in your life because you're hurt. So confess and be transparent and be open and let someone know. You know, don't be scared for somebody to tell you that you're wrong because you already know you're wrong. You don't have to be ashamed of that. Let someone come alongside of you and say, hey, can I help keep you accountable in this matter? Or maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I hear about these, these wise people in the Bible and I don't really feel like I have a lot to give. I don't have a lot of wisdom. Well, what's so great is that the Bible says if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And he is a liberal giver. In other words, if you're lacking wisdom in your life, one of the things I used to do when I first became a Christian is I would pray almost every single day because I believed what the Bible said, that God would give wisdom if we asked for it. And I say, God, give me wisdom. 
And I would ask for wisdom on all kinds of stuff, whether it was school or my time or like dating my, um, dating my, who was going to be my wife at the time. You know, I would ask for wisdom in all these different areas of a life. Go to God and say, God, I want wisdom in my life. I want you to help me to understand, to get it and to know so that I can share with other people and so that I can be a blessing to those around me. If you're here today and you listened and you're like, man, I don't know who, I'm in, who I am in Christ Jesus. You were talking about like we have to have peace with God first and I don't feel like I have peace with God. Today's the perfect day to get peace with God. If you've never trusted in him, if you've never believed in him, you've never repented, you've never told him, I'm sorry. Today is that day. Today is that day to call on Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, I understand that you died for the sins of everyone. And that I'm not so special that my sins are so big that you didn't die for them. Today is a day that if you've walked out of this place or all last week you felt like everyone was against you, even God. Today you can leave knowing that there's peace between you and God, not because you're so good, but because Jesus is so good. Maybe you're a believer and you doubt whether or not that's true. Let me challenge you to believe God at his word, that God loves his enemies so much that he's willing to die for them. If you've trusted in Jesus, you're a son of God. If he loves his enemies, that he's willing to die for them, how much more does he love his kids? It's not like earthly parents who struggle to love their kids. God loves his enemies. So how much more does he love you? I'm going to pray and I'm going to turn the service back over to Jordan. Father God, I just thank you for everyone here today, Lord. God, I just pray that you bless everyone, Lord God, that's in this place. God, I pray that your word would sprout and grow up, Lord God, in all of our hearts. We all have struggles, Lord God. Some days we go back and forth, Lord God, of feeling better or jealous or feeling like self-promotion, feeling like we got to just watch out for ourselves because nobody else is watching out for me. But I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to let those things die in us so that we would be vessels that can be used by you, that we wouldn't point people the wrong way, but rather we would point people to you. Just have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.